0: Uh, New Year's is a great time of reflection. People are making resolutions. They're focusing on improving aspects of their lives. And the crazy thing is, is you don't have to wait until January to make changes in your life. You can do them anytime you want. But for some reason, this is the time of year where people have optimism. The fact that they're willing to make a change in themselves, willing to give themselves a second chance even. And what I love is there are some people that make a New Year's resolution and they'll say it out loud, and you as well as everybody that's ever known this person knows immediately as soon as they say it, they're going to fail. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. And what do you know? Just a few days, few weeks, maybe a month into the new year, they fail at it. But that next new year, they come around and they make that same resolution once again because they know it's important to make that change and to give themselves a second chance. I, I just love this, this time of year because it, it's... People believe in themselves. You know, you look at yourself and you say, "What can I do better?" And it's like, "This is what I'm going to improve because I, I want to do better at this or I want to do better at that." And it's it's a great time. It's it's a time where we're focusing on 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 improving and not just being settled with a with the status quo. Something that we felt was like such a failure. You know, we're going to give it another try this time of year. Because if someone else would have made the same mistake that we would have made or they're failing at something, we always give that person the benefit of the doubt, and we tend to give them a second chance. But when it comes time to ourselves, we don't always give ourselves that second chance. For whatever reason, we're a little bit harder on ourselves. And I see people with so much potential that they're just too afraid to get out there and do something because they failed at things in the past, and they've stumbled, and they've not been successful before. So they don't want to open themselves up to that kind of hurt and rejection. They allow their, their past failures to dictate their future. And you see, one of the biggest failures in the Bible was someone who also made one of the greatest impacts on our world today. And I'm talking about Simon Peter. He was a disciple who was flawed, but he was called. And with most people in history, and especially in the Bible, we remember their heroic acts. But their flaws are usually something that we forget. I mean, think about it. If I say Moses, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Israelites, right? You hear things of... of, the, the, he, he was the deliverer he he was the one that that led Egypt out of bondage that he God spoke to him in the burning bush. you think of all these great impactful things about uh, about Moses but when I say Moses, I doubt anyone in here goes moses that 's a murderer that 's a man that was disobedient to God and never got to see the promised land but he was both of those things and although he has some pretty amazing highs, there were several deep lows in moses 's life and in his story that We just seem to gloss over at times. But when you ask people, what do you know about Simon Peter? Some people might be like, well, he walked on the water. But yeah, he fell like after two steps, right? Or he was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost. But he was also the one scared of a servant girl and denied Christ three times. His flaws are just as memorable as his triumphs. And the more that you study Peter and and his life you learn that the reason why these stories of failures are remembered so well is because while Peter was still on the earth, that's what he preached. He preached about his own failures time and time again. He used his his testimony of what he went through, what he overcame to connect with people and to lead them to Christ. You see, the gospels were written well after Peter had died, but the other disciples and the other apostles, they didn't sanitize his story. They didn't try to cover up his mistakes, but But they told the stories the same way that they knew that Peter would have told them, because it was important. Simon Peter came from humble beginnings. Peter's from uh, Bethsaida, which is translated as the house of hunters or the house of fishermen. So it's no surprise that the profession he originally chose was that of a fisherman. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah. That was the name given to him at birth. And Simon translated meant to hear or to listen. And Bar-Jonah meant son of Jonah, And we'll get to it a little bit later. But what I find is interesting is that Jesus decided to change Simon's name to Peter. I mean, his original name wasn't something that was bad or or evil, but his name was an example of who he was. The more that you study about Simon, you learn that he loved to to hear the Lord speak. He loved to hear every single parable. He loved to to every life lesson that God was willing to speak into him. He loved to listen. And he didn't just listen, but he, he took what was taught and he applied it to his life. And he allowed him to become a better man because of the teachings that he listened to. I also think it was a little uh, little interesting that in the community of fishermen, that someone decided to name their son Jonah. I'm pretty sure that Simon Peter's household probably got a little bit of teasing, right? Like Jonah, Simon, your dad's Jonah, really. A a giant whale swallowed a man up, and your your parents decided to name a man that's going to grow up and be a fisherman Jonah. Okay. But Bethsaida was a city that was located just south of the Sea of Galilee. And Galilee was a place that was known for having a lot of Gentiles. And Simon and his family, they they were Jews, but they lived in a world where there was mixed beliefs. They weren't just surrounded with devout Jews, but they were surrounded with, with people with different beliefs. The people of the area were typically less educated, they were lower income, and they were less devout in keeping up with the laws of Moses. Probably because they allowed their Gentile friends to help influence their lives and and distance themselves. It didn't seem as important as other Jews. But here you have Simon Peter, the man who wrote two epistles in the Bible, the man who spoke before councils and leaders, and and based on his upbringing, we know that he is not an educated man. In fact, when Peter speaks in the book of Acts, it says that he surprised people, that that this unlearned man, when it came to speaking about Jesus, that he spoke with such eloquence. Acts 4.13 says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus it wasn't their knowledge that impressed them but they knew that there was something different about these men they they could tell that they had spent time with the lord and i think it's important to know that we don't have to be a biblical scholar to witness to somebody You don't have to know everything about the the Bible forwards and backwards before you can sit down and and teach a Bible study to somebody. But you need to learn to walk in boldness of the Lord. You need to learn to to spend time with the Lord because when you spend time with him, he equips you and prepares you for what he's called you to do. Another thing that I found really interesting in the study of Simon was that uh, before he met Jesus, he had a desire for more. It said that Simon Peter and his brother Andrew traveled to hear the teachings of Of John the Baptist. And that wasn't necessarily a short trip. It's estimated uh, from a couple books that I read that where they were in Galilee to where John the Baptist was preaching on the River Jordan, it was anywhere from a four to five day journey each way. Talking about eight to ten days of traveling just to hear the Word of God. And you have to remember that Andrew and Simon Peter, they were fishermen. They were in a low-income area. They didn't have a whole lot of money. And hearing the preaching of John the Baptist was so important to them that they were willing to give up work for two weeks just to travel and hear the word. Some would say that that, that's, look at that and say, that's crazy. That's just, that's an unreal sacrifice. But see, they were hungry for more. They desired more and, and they made sacrifices because it was worth it to them. But can I ask a tough question tonight? How hungry are we for more? How great is our desire to get closer to God because it's super easy to come up here on Sunday mornings and, and say, God, I desire more of you, Lord. I want more of you in my life until you see what you might have to sacrifice. Lord, I want you to do more in my life, but but 30 minutes a day in, in, in prayer and, and in the word that, man, I don't have 30. I'm, I'm a busy guy. I don't have that kind of time. Lord, I want I want you to do amazing things in my life. Lord, I want you to speak into my life, but but I can't afford to take a day off work to go to men's conference or ladies' conference because... I only get so many days off work, and and my time is precious. What are we investing our time and our resources in? Because for Simon Peter, he was investing into God before he even truly knew him. I believe that the reason why Jesus called Simon Peter and Andrew was because of their desire for more. Shortly after Jesus' baptism and being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus meets with Simon Peter when he comes to heal his mother-in-law. And many biblical scholars would argue that this isn't the first time that they actually met. Because the way the scripture is written, it sounded like that they had already knew each other. Maybe they crossed paths while listening to, to John the Baptist. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But uh, it, Luke 4.38 says that after leaving the synagogue that day that Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law. And she was very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Jesus spoke the word and immediately she was healed, not just, oh, it was a slow recovery, but she got up and she was ready to go and do something for the Lord because of what he just did in her life. Verse 40 says, And as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought their sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand Healed every single one. You want to talk about a first encounter with Simon Peter. I'm sure later on when, when he gets up and leaves everything, his family understood a little bit more about why. Because Jesus walks into the home and just the mention of a word, there was great healing that took place that day. It wasn't until a month and a half after they first met Jesus did Simon Peter have his next encounter with him. Jesus was teaching on the shore while Peter, Andrew, James, and John were cleaning their nets after fishing all night long. And it's interesting to note that there are several different ways that you can fish. I don't fish at all, so any fishing is impressive to me. But you could do it on your own with a line and a hook. You could do it with nets. You could do it the way that Simon Peter chose to do it, and that was called drag fishing. And what they would do is they would get two boats together across from one another and then have a net in between the two boats, and they would literally drag that net across to get the fish inside but it was important that they had to do it at night so that the fish wouldn't be able to see the net. And Simon Peter, could have, he could have fished a lot of different ways. He could have fished on his own, but he knew the way to get the biggest results, the, the biggest yield, was it would require a team. I feel like God sent me here tonight to, to tell somebody that you don't have to do it all on your own. He didn't call you to be an island all to yourself, but he wants you to get together with some like-minded people because when we start working together that's when revival starts. When we, when we want to see amazing things happen, we grab somebody and say, you know what, I'm going to bring you along because I think it's important for you to take this journey with me. I can do something on my own, but together, you and I, we can do an amazing thing if we just bind together. And it was important that they had to be side by side because if one boat was way ahead and the other one was far behind, it, it, it wouldn't do the same results. They had to be together working one, one with another. Luke 5 says that on one day that Jesus was preaching on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed that there were two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. You see, it's important to clean out your nets. Because if they didn't clean out their nets and they would have put them away and they were still wet or they still had debris or, or leftover fish inside of them, what, what would happen to those nets is they would begin to rot. And they couldn't be able to use them again and to see results. Because if you want to see results, you don't want to ruin what you have. You've you, you got to put in the work. Because it's easy to come in on, on Sunday morning and when the, the worship music is getting going and to get excited and to run and to dance and to shout. But come Monday morning to, to, to say, Lord... Clean this heart out. Lord, remove any weakness in me. That's, that, that, that's not the fun thing to do. I, no one enjoys going into a prayer clause and saying, God, I am a failure. God, I can be so much more through you. But, Lord, take the time, Lord, to remove these impurities from me. And, and it's, it's when we allow God to remove these weaknesses from us, then that's when we're able to do what he's called us to do. Because if we don't do that and we just jump in for what's exciting and what's fun, then sooner or later we're going to rot and we're going to die. We're not going to be sustained. So it's important that we we take time to remove those uh, impurities continuing on verse three it says that stepping into one of the boats Jesus asked Simon its owner to push it out into the water so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there and when Jesus got in the boat and he and he taught from the boat where he was uh, was preaching at it, it was much better for him because now you don't have crowds pressing against him he he had a little bit of space and The water also acts as a sounding board, so so Jesus could be heard better. So there's lots of benefits to the reason why he chose to go in the boat with Peter. But Simon Peter was tired. He was exhausted, if you remembered. He just worked all night, and quite frankly, he had a terrible night. You want to talk about feeling like a failure. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. And the day that Jesus came to him, he caught absolutely nothing. I've had bad days at work. But I don't think there's a day that I've gone home where I said, I didn't accomplish a single thing, and I'm just a complete and utter moral failure. Anybody ever have a bad day at work? Do you like to be around other people when you have a bad day at work? I, I, I don't. And this is the mindset that Peter's in. But And Jesus says, oh, you had the, one of the worst nights of your life. I'm going to get in the boat with you. And it was in that moment, a moment of failure and, and pure exhaustion, that God called him to do something for the first time. And what's key here is, is regardless of how he felt, regardless of of what's going on in his life, when Jesus asked uh, Simon Peter to do something, he was obedient. He didn't give excuses, he didn't complain, but he allowed himself to be used. Continue on to verse number four. It says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets to catch some fish. And I love his response. It says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night long, and we did not catch a thing. He was saying, Jesus, look, we didn't catch anything. We worked all night long. It was a waste of our time. Our, our nets are already dry, and they're clean. And if you remember, they, they drag fish. So the way that they fish, it's only successful at night. And it's in the middle of the day. And Peter, who's a fisherman by trade, who knows what he's doing, is listening to Jesus say, you know what? Go grab your nets and try again everything that Peter knew about fishing said that this would be a waste of time and there wouldn't be any results to it. But tired, exhausted Peter once again was obedient. And I'm sure it was probably a little bit of reluctance obedience, but it was obedience nonetheless. But you have to remember that the type of fishing that Simon did required a team. Can you imagine how crazy Peter must have felt going back up to the shore and say, hey guys, I know that you were busy cleaning out the nets and I was out there with Jesus and And listening to some preaching. And you guys did a lot of the the grunt work. But guess what? Uh, I need you to go out and we need to go catch some fish again. Because Jesus is asking us to try one more time. And he believed the word of the Lord so much that he wasn't afraid to go and ask others to get involved with him. Listen, I know these past few years have been hard. COVID has, it's kicked us, it's kicked us hard. We've tried our hardest, we've put in the best, best effort. But I'm going to say something that's a little painful, but it's a little true. We don't have the results we should be having. The revival that I know the church is capable of, the vision that the pastor has for this church, we haven't achieved it yet. And some of us are so worn out, we're exhausted, we're doing all that we can, and we just feel like we can't do anything else. But I feel like Jesus is speaking to someone today, and he says, if you just go a little bit deeper... I know it's not going to be fun, but if, if you just go and grab a team to help you, because, uh, because if you just trust in me and you go a little bit deeper, the results are going to be more than you can imagine, but you've just got to push past the exhaustion, push past the doubt, and just trust me to go just a little bit further, just a little bit deeper, and you're going to get the results. You go back to verse number five, and Peter's reluctance obedience. Lord, we've worked all night and we haven't caught a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that it began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. So the boats were filled with fish to the point that they were on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others that were with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon and said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything, and they followed after Jesus. Choosing to give up everything and follow after Jesus changed their lives forever. They got to see Jesus perform miracles, signs, and wonders. They got to hear him preach and teach. They they got to be there for the parables. The first miracle that Simon Peter got to participate in came in a very difficult time. Matthew 14 tells us that Jesus and his disciples had just learned of the, of the beheading of John the Baptist. Matthew 14:13 says, And as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowd heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Even Jesus had tough days. Days where he just wanted to go off and be alone and not worry about anything or anyone. But see, there was a need. And he wasn't going to turn his back on those that were in need. That's how it is in our life sometimes, right? When people need us the most is the time that we feel the least prepared to help them. Lord, I can't pour into anyone else right now. God, I'm, I'm going through something that's already tough enough. But, but Jesus gives us this example that it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you can bless somebody else, allow yourself to be used. Continue on to verse 14, and it says, Jesus saw the crowd, and as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it it is getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he, gave, then he told the people to sit down on the grass and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, look up towards heaven and bless them. Then breaking the, the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. This was the first miracle that the disciples got to truly participate in. Peter and the other 11, they were the ones that got to be able to, to break the bread and to, to hand it out. And I can't imagine the excitement they had that each time they broke it, there, there, there's more. There's more, there's more, and it kept going. God directly used them to perform this miracle, and in the midst of a difficult time, Jesus equipped the disciples to learn how to be a blessing to others. But you go back to that story, and in verse 22, it says that immediately after this, that Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in fear, and they cried out, it's a ghost. You see, the Sea of Galilee was, it was, it was deep. It was 140 feet deep. And back then, they used to use ropes and weights to, to see how deep lakes were so they would know when they were going out to fish. And the Sea of Galilee was so deep at 140 feet that their, their ropes and their weights never reached the bottom. So there were some that believed that the Sea of Galilee, the bottom of it, was literally a portal to the underworld. So when they say that they cried out, it's a ghost, they literally believed that it was a ghost from the underworld that it came out from the bottom of, of the Sea of Galilee. And then that's where they were. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage for I am here. And the crazy thing is that how the disciples responded to him. Jesus was being in the middle of the water and in the midst of a storm. And and they should have been worried about him. They they should have been afraid that he was going to drown. They they should have called out to him to to hurry up and get to the boat for safety. They they could have helped him get back in there. Uh, Peter should have said, Jesus, hurry, come and get in the boat and be safe. But verse 28 says, "Then, then Peter called to him and said, Lord if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Peter asked God's permission to walk into the impossible, but he waited for God's response before he moved. Verse 29 says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went on the other side of the boat and walked towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Peter trusted God enough to to step out of his fear and to, and to walk into faith for just a moment. And even after Peter got out of the boat and he, and he walked on the water, even after watching him do the impossible, the other 11 stayed in their comfort zone. Not a single one did it say. He said, you know what, I'm next. But Simon Peter was the one walking on water as long as he kept his eyes focused on Jesus. As long as he kept his focus on the Lord, he was able to do the impossible. It's when he took his eyes off the Lord that he allowed himself to, to focus on the circumstances that were around him, that's when he began to sink. And it's a familiar story, but God was speaking to me as I studied this the other day. And what He was telling me, He says, is it didn't say anywhere in this story that when Peter stepped out for the first time that the wave stopped, that the wind stopped. It didn't say that, that 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 the storm even got worse or anything like that. See, the storm was already going on. Peter knew what he was stepping into. It was the in the midst of the storm that he first stepped out. And on the in the midst of that storm was when he took his first step and when he took his second step. The winds and the waves they were raging, but he had enough faith to step out because he trusted in the Lord. The situation didn't change. The the storm didn't change. What changed was that Simon Peter allowed himself to get inside his own head. Wait a minute. Looking around, that this shouldn't be possible. But what, what stopped Peter from doing the impossible is. Is when he took his focus on the Lord and he started to internalize things and he focused on himself. He focused on the, the risk that he was now incurring. Because at first it was excitement and it was it was he was ready to jump at it, but now he as he's walking, he says, What if I fall? And he starts to internalize everything that he could lose by taking this chance. And when he did that, he took his eyes off the Lord, and that's when he failed. And if we aren't careful, we read the story and we see Simon Peter as a failure. But to me, the failure in the story are the other 11 that stayed inside the boat. Because in the midst of the storm, they were focusing on just trying to survive. But Peter, in the midst of the storm, chose to focus on Jesus. He chose to take a step out in faith and to walk where the Lord had called him. It's a story that says if you're willing to push past fear and doubt, you can do anything if you're willing to walk in your faith if you focus on God. You can conquer anything that life throws at you. Verse 31 says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him and said, You you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And they climbed back into the boat and the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. When Peter started to to fall, he cried out on the Lord and the Lord immediately came to his rescue. When Jesus said, Ye have little faith, I don't believe that he was angry or he was judging, but I believe that he was disappointed. Because I've seen you, and you had so much growth and you had so much potential. You could have achieved so much more. Why did you stop? There's so much more to, for you to experience if you had just taken a few more steps. It's kind of like for those of you that have small children. When, when kids get ready to, to take their few steps, it's so exciting. And when you see them stand for the first time and you see them get ready to step, and they, they should be fine, and they get, they get scared and they just fall. And you're like, no, but you, you have everything, you, you, you're doing an amazing job. And you might get a little angry or frustrated, but you're not, you're not reprimanding that child. You're, you're disappointed because you know there's so much more for them when they finally realize what they can do. And I truly believe that that's what Jesus was saying when he looked at Peter. He says, if you only knew what you were capable of, if you would have just kept going, you need to have more faith, Peter. You need to build it up. It was only a few chapters later that we see growth in Simon Peter in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 13 says that when Jesus came to the region of Assessori Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon Son of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any other human being. Peter, this answer didn't come because someone told you it. It wasn't because of the upbringing that you had or because of a book that you read. But Peter came to this revelation of who Jesus was by spending time with the Lord, by desiring for more. Verse 18 says, Now I say unto you, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the power of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And Jesus named him Peter, which meant rock, immovable, fundamental, steady, strong. Jesus empowered Peter because of the revelation that he came to. Peter, you're going to be the one that's going to be responsible for the foundation of the truth. For the foundation of the church. Jesus is giving Peter a ton of responsibility here. Verse 21 says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Peter went from being one of the most trusted people that, that Jesus knew to being rebuked and called Satan in just a matter of minutes. The reason that, that Jesus trusted Peter is because Peter had learned to trust in God for his wisdom and, and for his guidance. And then the first problem that, that, that comes his way after this revelation, instead of entrusting in God and, and his wisdom and what he's saying, he immediately goes back to trying to solve things with his own carnal mind. I think the Lord put this example in this put this example in there for us. Because God has a great plan for each and every one of us. But sometimes that plan is going to include heartache. It's going to include some trials, it's going to include some struggles, and it's going to include some tough times. But that doesn't mean that we're not in the will of God. In the mindsets of struggles and, and trials, instead of trying to fix things on our own and trying, instead of trying to, to, to do it all by ourselves, we need to learn to trust in the Lord, to seek his face. We need to stop assuming we know what the will of God is and truly seek his face to find out. Because what's even more dangerous than than thinking we know what the will of God is, is thinking what we want the will of God to be in our situations and spending time focusing on what we think God should do instead of saying, you know what, God, if it's your will, I don't understand it, and I know what's going to cause me some pain, but God, I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to see you through your will because you are a mighty God. Back to verse number 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up on your own way, Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you will save it. And what do you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Peter is also blessed to be part of Jesus' inner circle. See, although that there were 12 disciples, there were three that Jesus allowed to experience more than the others. Peter, James, and John, what I love about these these three is they got special nicknames that no one else got. Simon became Peter, which means rock. And according to Mark 3.17, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. So we've got the original rock and the sons of thunder. If Jesus didn't have a job being our Lord and Savior, he could have been a WWE promoter. Caleb, my new life goal is to be so full of Jesus that he gives me a wrestling name when I get to heaven. That is my goal. But he loved these more so than the others. This was his inner circle. And so many times he would pull them aside to do things uh, just with him. The first time was, was, was with the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Matthew 17 says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers James and John, and he led them to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus, his appearance was transformed so that the face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, "Lord, it's wonderful us for, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you." One for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter was someone that that he just didn't always think before he spoke. He just spoke. And Jesus brought him to this special place, not because he needed a servant to build a monument to him, but he brought him there to have an experience and just to be with them. He wanted him to to spend time and to to see what was going to happen. Verse 5 says, But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Who brings me great joy? Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up. He said, Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. It was important for Jesus that his inner circle understood the seriousness of the calling that he had and his relationship. It was higher than even the legends that they grew up learning about Elijah and Moses, it was so much more than that. And Jesus was, was trying to teach them that, that there's a higher calling that he's calling them to. Next, Jesus taught them to never give up and that anything is possible. While Jesus was traveling to heal Jairus' daughter, there was a crowd all around him. And the woman with the issue of blood presses through and she gets her healing. And as Jesus tells her that her faith has made her whole and to go in peace, immediately there's word that comes from Jairus' house. And in Luke 8:49 uh, it says, And while he was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. And when they arrived to the house, Jairus would let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping, she isn't dead, for she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand, and he said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And in that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Jesus was trying to teach the inner circle to not see things through the carnal eyes, but to learn to trust in him. Because all those others others that were there laughed, and they, even with the presence of God there, they still laughed and mocked, saying, it, it, there's no point. She's dead. But Jesus knew that there, there's not a hopeless situation because even though man says it's hopeless, it's not too late if God has a different plan. The final time that Jesus met with his inner circle was in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we'll get to that one just a little bit. And even though the, all three of these gentlemen were in part of his inner circle, it was apparent that that Peter had a special place in his heart with Jesus. You see, the other twelve disciples, they're rarely uh, mentioned. By name, I think Jesus. It says that he mentioned uh, John the beloved twenty times by name. Jesus mentioned James by name six times. Peter, Peter was mentioned by name a hundred and twenty times, and I don't think it was just luck that allowed him to find favor in, in his ministry and in his calling, but it was because he was always asking questions. He was always wanting to know more. He was always wanting to grow. Luke twelve thirty nine says that. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit the house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time for the son of the man will come when least expected. And Peter asked, Lord, is this illustration just for us or is it for everyone? Peter wanted to know, Lord, is this something that we need to teach out or is this something that you're giving for us just to prepare us? Trying to skip ahead because shockingly enough, I will run out of time tonight. It's that never happens for me, but that's okay. So we'll skip out of here because I want to get you out of here before 10 o'clock tonight. That is my goal. But another lesson that we learn from Peter is that Peter had a servant's heart. When it came time to, to make preparations for the Last Supper, it was Peter and John that Jesus chose. In Luke 22 7, it says, Now the festival of unleavened bread has arrived. And when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so that we may eat it together. Sometimes the greatest responsibility that God can call you to isn't one of preaching or of singing on the praise team, but it's a call to serve. It's a call to do the work behind the scenes because even God's inner circle was asked to be workers and to have a servant's heart. It was at that last supper that Peter's life was changed forever John 13 says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his uh, ministry on earth, and he loved them to the very end. Skip down to verse number four, it says, so he got up from this table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin when he he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't, you won't belong to me. And then Simon exclaimed, Lord, wash my, my head and my hands as well, not just my feet. The Lord was trying to, to teach Peter what it meant to serve and that, that you always, no matter what your position is, you're always called to be a servant. You continue on with the events of the Last Supper and uh, Matthew twenty-six thirty-one says, and on the way, Jesus told him, tonight all of you will desert me for the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I have raised from the dead, I will go ahead to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied and said, I tell you the truth, Peter, that this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. You see, they were so quick and confident to respond that they were stronger than Jesus thought. But even his inner circle didn't have the strength they would need. When Jesus went to the the, the olive grove called Gethsemane, he said, sit with me and sit while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and and the Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. And when he returned to the disciples, he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak." Peter, couldn't you even pray just one hour? I just told you that you're about to go through the toughest battle of your life, and I told you that you're going to fail in it. And I know you have a desire for more, but your desire isn't enough. You've got to push past that flesh that's getting in the way because you've got to press on, you've got to go deeper. And you keep going on down, and it says, verse 44, it says, So when they prayed a third time, saying these things again, he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, but have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. It wasn't just once. It wasn't just twice. But it was three times that Simon fell asleep when he should have been praying. And this time, God saw him and he said, you know what? I'm not even going to bother you this time. I'm not even going to wake you. You might as well just stay asleep. I don't want to get to the point of my life where God keeps asking me to do something, asking me to do something, asking me to do something, to the point where he says, you know what? Never mind. Uh, I, 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 you're not capable of it. I'll just move on because you're not taking the time to prepare like you need to prepare for what's going to happen. Skipping down some more, uh, Jesus gets taken into to custody, and Peter chops off the ear of one of the, 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 the servants. And we find Peter in Matthew twenty six sixty nine, and he's, he's sitting outside the courtyard, and it says that a servant girl comes to him and says, you were one of the, the those with Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter denied her in front of everybody and says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he had a reason to be scared because he could have been arrested for cutting off that guard's ear. Well, I understand you might be scared, Peter, but Peter, this is a servant girl. It's not an official. It's, it's not a soldier. It's no one of any importance, no one that can cause you harm. Why are you so ashamed of who you are? Verse 71 says, later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those around him, this is the man that was, that was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter again denied it, and this time with an oath said, I don't know the man. And a little later, some of the bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore a curse, uh, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words uh, flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Even though Peter had denied Christ and he felt like a failure, Jesus still had a plan for his life. You see, after the crucifixion in Mark 16, it says, when they entered the tomb, they saw a, a, a young man clothed in a white robes sitting on the side, and the woman were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. And now go tell all the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going to ahead of you to Galilee, you will see him there just as he told you before he died. Once again, the Lord made sure to mention Peter by name. I'm sure Peter must have felt like a failure, unworthy of the calling that God had placed upon him, but his failure didn't change the fact that Jesus still had a a work for him to do. He still had a calling upon his life, and he wanted to make sure that Peter knew that he was coming to see him. Luke 24, 9 says, and when they came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again in three days. Ladies come and they tell the disciples, guess what happened? Jesus was crucified and he rised again three days later. And to them, It's nonsense. But Peter, however, got up and he ran into the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering himself what had happened. He heard the testimony of the, of the empty tomb, but that wasn't good enough. He had to go there and he had to see it himself. And Jesus told him that these things would happen. But instead of going back and saying, you know what, i got to get ready because God God's done what he said, He's, and he, he said he was going to do something great in my life, so I need to prepare and be ready for it. He just continued to look at his mistakes and he went back to the only life that he knew. John 21 and 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come to, they all said. So they went to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. A little bit of deja vu, right? In the midst of uncertainty, he went back to what he knew before he knew the Lord. He saw the empty tomb. He knew it was part of God's plan. And he knew that God had a plan on his life, but he was so Consumed with fear and failure, that he he couldn't get past his comfort zone. Verse four. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, "Fellows, have you caught any fish?" No, they replied. Then he said, "Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some." So they did, and, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, uh, then the disciple Jesus loved, said to Peter, "It's the Lord." And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. Once Peter realized that it was God on the shore, he couldn't wait another moment. He jumped out of that boat, and he got to the Lord just as quick as he could. The others had stayed in the boat, and they pulled their loaded net to the shore, and they were only 100 yards away from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged their net to shore, and there were 150, uh, 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't broken. The first time it was so much that it, it was breaking the nets, but this time it was, it was 153 large fish, but the net was still there. But come now and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish, And this was the third time that he appeared to the disciples before he was dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt, for Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I loved you. It was three times that Peter denied Christ, and it was now three times that Jesus had Peter reaffirm his love for him. And Jesus responded once again, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed as yourself. And you went wherever you, you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you didn't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. That's a tough thing. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, hey, when you were younger, you could do whatever you wanted. You had freedom. You had all these things. But if you follow after me, you're going to lose control of your life, and you're going to die. And it's going to be a painful death. And Peter turned and he, and he looked and saw behind him the disciples of, of Jesus, ones that were loved, and the one, that, the one who had leaned over to Jesus at supper saying, Lord, who will betray you? Essentially, he was saying, he's looking back at all the disciples and he finds John, John the beloved, and he asks Jesus a question. What about him, Lord? Jesus had just told him that you're going to go through struggles and you're going to lose all your freedom and you're going to die a painful death. And instead of saying, God, I can do all things through you, his first question was, yeah, but what about John? Well, what about the one that, that you love so much? Will he have to suffer like I had to suffer. We need to stop comparing our ministry to the ministry of others around us. We need to stop focusing on what's going on in our lives and everyone else's lives and just focus on what God has called us to do. He called us because it, it, it's our calling, it's our job, it's our it's it's what He needs us to do. Your blessings are different than my blessings. Your sacrifices aren't the same as my sacrifices. Because when we get our focus on the Lord and we we get our focus off of God and we we start focusing and saying, you know what, Brother Duffy, he doesn't seem to struggle as much as I struggle. And God, that's not fair. You called us both to preach, but see, he he doesn't need to struggle. It doesn't matter what he goes through. His 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 calling is different than my calling. Your your calling in your workplace is different. Stop focusing on what God's doing in other people's lives and focus on what he's calling you to do, which is to follow him. Jesus replied and says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. It doesn't matter what anyone else is going through, whatever everyone else is happening. He says, just focus on me, follow after me. Jesus was telling Peter, it doesn't matter what happens in John's life, I want you to focus on the call that I have on your life. And Peter's life was full of mistakes, it was full of triumphs, and, but most importantly, it was full with lessons that we can learn from today. When God calls, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're going through, or what you have to give up, it's worth it to respond to his call. It doesn't matter the results that you've had in the past, it doesn't matter your upbringing or where you've been, Listen to the voice of God and always, always go a little bit deeper. If you want to get close to the Lord, we need to, we need to spend more time with him. We need to learn to become learners. We need to not be content with where we are, but continue to, to ask questions and, and be more hungry for his word and, and desire more from him. We need to learn as much as we can so that we can be used of him. Our past, our skill set, our upbringing, it doesn't matter. If God has called you, he will equip you to do what he's called you to do. We need to learn to focus on the Lord. My my circumstance, my my struggles, the storms of life, they don't matter because as long as I can get out of my head and as long as I can focus on God, that's all that matters. When I can push past this carnal mind, I'm able to do the impossible, but it's going to take us stepping out on faith. Your pastor upbringing, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is how we respond when God asks to use us. And again, it's not going to come at the most convenient time in your life. It's probably going to come when you've got more going on than you know what to do with. And God's going to say, can I just have a few moments of your time? Can you do just something small for me? And it's through that obedience that the Lord says, you know what? I've got more for you now. I've got more for you now each and every time you take that step. I challenge you to be used of the Lord today. Victor Jackson said something at a conference a few months ago that changed my life. He said, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he didn't say, I've called you to be fishers of men, so now go figure out how to do that. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That might sound simple and people are like, duh. But what that told me was when God showed me what he's called me to do, I'm like, God, I can't do that. There's no way. How do I prepare myself to, to do this? I don't understand it, God. There's, there's got to be better people to do this. There's got to be a better way for it to be done. And Jesus says, I need you to do it, and you know how I'm going to equip you? Just follow me. It, it, it doesn't matter. You want to be prepared? Just follow me. Just trust in me. Just focus on me, and I'm going to prepare you for what I've called you to do. If we can all stand tonight, I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. But Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us together tonight, God for for giving us the time, Lord, to 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 dig deeper into your word, Lord, to to look at the life of Simon and realize that God. It's okay if I've made mistakes, Lord, because if I come to you, Lord, with a repentant heart, Lord, and I come with you with a desire, Lord, to change and to do more, God, I know that you can restore upon me, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do, God. Lord, I don't have to be intimidated by things that are around me or what others do, Lord, but, Lord, teach each and every one of us, God, Lord, to to have a focus on you, Lord, that we might be able to be used by you, God, Lord, that we might be able to be effective in your kingdom because of our focus on you. And Lord, I just ask that you bless each and every one of us as we leave this place today, God, Lord. Prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that when we come in on, on Sunday for revival, Lord, that we don't have to get ready, Lord, but that we are ready, Lord. That you might be able to speak to us, that you might be able to do great things, and that revival will, will start in this place and, and carry on over into the city of Kendallville and to each and every one of our communities. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.